Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4, uh, this continuation of uh, Moses at this point communicating with the nation of Israel, uh, the second account, the Deuteronomy, the dual reading of the law, and um, the judgments and the circumstances surrounding it. There's a, a generation that uh, was not uh, at least old enough to understand uh, the law and what was being given to them when they started this journey. Forty years have passed, and now uh, that previous generation has passed away, uh, and uh, the younger generation is receiving the instruction and the explanations from Moses again before they cross the Jordan and enter into the promised land. In verse 1, Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I teach you to observe, that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers is giving you. The statutes and the judgments. So I'm going to give you the Ten Commandments, I'm going to give you the laws, and then I'm going to tell you how to apply them. Statutes and then judgments, almost like it sounds. You're going to have to observe both things, right? we got many laws on the books today, and the judgments are not being followed through. They're, they're not looking at things the way that they should. Uh, I've talked before, people don't realize how dangerous this whole issue of social justice is, okay? There's no question there are tremendous atrocities that have been committed, are being committed. There's no call for racism, right? That always needs to be condemned, but the minute that you apply anything as an adjective to justice, you diminish justice. Social justice means that you've got to view whatever justice you're delving out through some social lens. Yes, they committed the crime, but what are the mitigating circumstances that led up to their committing the crime? Well, guess what? We don't care. We shouldn't, right? That's how you create justice. If you don't, was it, would that be my wife's phone? She's running from the room. She can still hear me. Speakers on out front. We go through this thing every night. Where she 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 goes to bed and she likes to watch like she studies so hard she likes to watch like some funny videos like you know cats jumping off and whatever and uh, she just cannot get a handle on how to silence the phone so she'll watch like three and then one will like blare off super loud and I'm like sound asleep next to her we've had this whole discussion about how to turn the volume down and. Uh, See, that's boldness that she'll come back in the room. That's good. <laughs> Strength right there. That's cool. Where was I? <clears throat> Social justice. If you apply anything ahead of justice, then you diminish the law. You diminish. Okay, you know, go back. Rewind in our nation to the mid-80s. And they started incorporating this thought process of hate crimes. Remember that? And some of us are young enough that we don't even remember when that took effect. Others of us remember the change. Okay, well, guess what? If I walk up and punch somebody in the face, it doesn't matter if I did it because they're Asian or Jewish or black. If I punch them in the face, it is hate and it is a crime. If you're saying that because they are of a particular race, then the punishment needs to be greater, well, now you've diminished the justice for everyone who's not of those races. Justice has been warped in the process. If you want to say this is happening too much, we need to intensify the punishment for everyone. 
then you elevate that in order to diminish the activity of the crime. Well, when you start moving the scale all around, you create circumstances that are, in fact, unjust. And that is, in fact, what the Lord is saying here. I'm going to give you the law, and then I'm going to tell you how to apply it. And he says repeatedly throughout the process, and you will not show partiality. Right? And often, the first thought is to the people of influence and wealth and favor, right? If they can hire a lawyer, then we're going to show them favor. The Lord doesn't actually go that direction. He splits it down the middle and says, neither will you show it for the impoverished or the wealthy. No favoritism in the circumstance. The law will be put forth and the judgment will be put forth and you need to follow it very deliberately so that you'll have success in what you're doing. Hear it again. Now, Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I teach you to observe that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers is giving you. Verse 2, you shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. This actually is reiterated throughout the scripture. Don't add to or take away. The prophets say it a few different times, and then we hear it very distinctly in the book of Revelation, chapter 22, at verse 18. It says, John speaking, For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. I don't want either one of those things to happen to any of us, including myself. You don't want the plagues recorded in these passages added, nor do you want any of the blessing and the name of, you know, your name written in the book of life to be taken away. Silly as it is, some people literally focus and say, oh, well, now are we talking about the actual prophecy or are we talking about the Bible as a whole? What are we supposed to concentrate on? John specifically in verses 18 and 19 puts it both directions, right? He says the words of the prophecy of this book. And then at the end, he says from the things which are written in this book. So the prophecy or the book, which either way you go, you can't take away from either one or add to either one. Now, most of you are probably thinking like, right, of course, I would never do that. There's a whole lot of Christianity right now that has abandoned huge portions of the Word of God. They don't teach from it at all. They, they find it offensive to the people who attend their congregations, and they don't want to offend them, so they never preach on those subjects. They, they never talk about sin. They never talk about hell. They never talk about judgment, punishment. They will not say homosexuality is a sin. They avoid talking about fornication. They avoid talking about those social things that our culture is deeming as good, right, and normal. The minute you start taking away, the minute you start editing, right, <clears throat> the nation of Israel disobeys God. After 490 years, God sends them away into captivity in Babylon for 70 years. Often people will say, so that the land would receive its Sabbaths. And that is, in fact, recorded. But here's the thing. That was the symptom of the spiritual illness, right? They weren't worshiping God. They were worshiping idols. And as such, they had neglected not only the observation of the Sabbath for the land to rest, they had neglected everything about their relationship with the Lord. 
So as a manner of discipline, God, they weren't viewing it this way, but he sent them away into a place of rest, right? Giant time out for 70 years in the land of Babylon. Once that time is passed and they're brought back into the land, Nehemiah, Ezra, they're rebuilding the wall and the temple and the celebration of patriotic national unity begins. They gather together at the temple and Ezra and Nehemiah and the priests begin to read to the people the law. And they are horror struck because it's, for many of them, the first time they've ever heard these things recorded in the law. Just through omission, the people have been left in a place without the knowledge that could have potentially kept them from the sin and the idolatry that they fell into. The priests were not teaching the people the whole of God's word. And as a result, the people abandoned God's word. And they weren't walking in God's words and in his statutes. And now they're walking in sinfulness and idolatry, and it eventually costs them their freedom. Sound familiar? Sound familiar? Great, great condemnation rests upon the pulpits of America. The pulpits of America are largely responsible for what's going on outside our four walls because we haven't been preaching the word of God. Word of God. We need to return. Verse 3, your eyes have seen the Lord. what the Lord did at Baal Peor. For the Lord your God has destroyed among, from among you all the men who followed Baal of Peor. But You who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today, every one of you. So Balaam had been hired by King Balak, enemy of Israel, to come and prophesy negatively against the nation of Israel. Balak's concept was that if Balaam spoke negatively to and about Israel, then those negative and those bad things would come to pass. Balaam, as we've talked about, was an interesting character who actually had direct communication with God. I I wouldn't dare say he had a relationship with God, but he could communicate with God. And God told him what to say to and about the nation of Israel, which was nothing but blessing. He later, though, told Balak how to cause the nation of Israel to fall into sin which was through sexual uh, perversion. Send the uh, prostitutes down amongst the men of the nation of Israel and tell them to take their idols with them so that when the men hired them for sexual pleasure, they would also introduce idolatry. So fornication and idolatry were introduced to the nation of Israel. They fall into both of those sin with these women, and then God is angry and pours out his judgment upon him. Numbers chapter 25, verse 9 says, and those who died in the plague were 24,000. So when uh, Moses is here reminding them of the sin of Baal Peor. He's talking about 24,000 people dying. You know, you got to think about this. There's 10,000 people on Mount Desert Island, you guys, year-round residents. There's 7,500 people that live in Ellsworth year-round. There's only 1,300 residents here in Trenton. 24,000 people dead from their sin. Uh, How much of that is going on in our culture right now all around us? You know, whether you're aware of it or not, a massive percentage of emergency room visits in America has to do with sexual perversion. Not not like some minuscule small amount. Last numbers I read. 27 percentile, 32 percentile of emergency room visits have to do with sexual perversion, ranging from physical injuries up through venereal diseases. Our culture is deeply involved 
in this sin. And it's affecting us dramatically. And it's killing us dramatically. Because of the departure from the worship of God. Verse 5. Surely I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should act according to them in the land which you go to possess. Paul said, <clears throat> New Testament, Acts 20, verse 17, I have not failed. Uh, you know, I'm, not, I'm, I'm innocent. I'm, I'm, I'm not guilty of any man's blood. I've not failed to teach you the whole counsel of God's word. This, this whole thing that's going on, especially in Calvary Chapel right now, where some of the Calvaries have abandoned teaching Old and New Testament and now only teach New Testament. Others are debating whether they should continue to what degree they should do it. You may notice... We're here on a Sunday morning teaching from the Old Testament, right? It's very necessary that we learn the whole counsel of God's word. Not just, I mean, you know, stay in, in the Gospels continuously. You're going to get a lot of these things, but there are going to be details that you miss. Things that we need to digest, right? Uh, my older brother, uh, Andy, taught me when I was like six years old. You got to eat the things on your plate that you dislike the most first. First, right? Save the macaroni and cheese for last, right? The stuff you like, the stuff that goes down easy. So you got to digest the, the more difficult stuff. If you view things that way, right? Mom always made you eat your vegetables, you couldn't push them around on the plate and mix them in with everything else. You've got to eat it all. The whole, why, why do you think the Holy Spirit recorded all of this? You, you know, if he wanted us to have uh, fluff and other Bible study, we would have had that, right? Sermonettes, Christianettes. We want to avoid the weakness that these things produce. We want the strength that comes from digesting all of God's word. Some of it may seem boring, out of place. It's a commandment from the Lord. Just as the Lord my God commanded me, I've taught you that you should act according to them in the land which you go to possess. Therefore, be careful to observe them. For this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of of the peoples who hear all these statutes and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. I uh, will never forget my oldest daughter, Christian, was at a uh, gathering where people of all ages were there. And this elderly woman came up to my wife and I as it was ending and said, you've done very well with your daughter. And, you know, we thank you. It was homeschooler meeting is what it was. And she stood there and talked to us for several minutes about how she knew that we, our daughter had to have come from a Christian home. She knew that our daughter had to spend a lot of time with her parents, she knew, she went on a list of things she knew about our home, which were all very accurate. And, and in the end, I said to her, like, how did, you, how did you derive all of this? And she said, because your daughter came right over and sat down with me and talked to me at length. Elderly woman, on her own, Christian took it upon herself to go. She didn't just stay with her peers. She was with the young people spent time with them, but she went over and was able to be with someone that was older and not be uncomfortable, was able to talk to them. This is the one of the problems that we've discovered in working in education, especially in the government run school systems, is the way that they segregate each age group unto itself so that it just stays as it incrementally moves along. They stay within their own pod. And they don't communicate with anyone outside of their age, unless it's to brutalize them at you know, the cafeteria or something like that. 
This concept that's being delivered to the nation of Israel, you know, you're going to have to apply this because this is something that the Lord has commanded. You're going to have to be careful to observe it for what great nation. The wisdom is going to be understood from what? From what you've been taught. What you've been taught is going to stand out to the people around you. Do do you not like run into people in public and immediately, I do this, like you can just see like every proverb I've read that talks about the fool applies to this individual, right? You're watching it unfold before your very eyes. They have no idea. They don't even know what the word of God says in regard to these things. Every decision they're making, you just wait in anticipation for how this is going to be painful. Yeah, go ahead. You know, you just, uh, no, you haven't seen this. Watch Cops, right? The television program for five minutes. Sure, go ahead. Talk back to that police officer that way. Just, I wonder how this is going to turn out, you know? Foolish, the things of the world. Verse 7, for what great nation is there that has God so near to it as the Lord your God is to us, for whatever reason we may call upon him. Reference to the fact that the tabernacle is in their midst. They have, they have the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire. There is the tabernacle. The priesthood is there. They have this direct access to God, to his wisdom, to his communication, to his grace with them. No other nation has that. No other nation has that kind of disposal in in their possession to be able to just communicate with God the way that this nation does. Now, right, move forward to Jesus talking about John the Baptist and how he is the greatest prophet who has ever been born amongst women. Then Jesus steps forward of that and says the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. That's us. We eclipse John the Baptist. So Moses was dandy, right? And all of the nation of Israel was spectacular. And along comes John who outshines them all. And then Jesus says, you and I are greater than John. Why? Because the veil has been torn. We now, You and I have free access to God. Direct communication. We have a greater communication with God than Moses or Aaron had. We can enter boldly into the throne room of grace. As Hebrews chapter 4, 15 and 16 say, For we do not have the high priest which cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Look, you've got to get to the place, if you, if you don't use this, right? If you simply know this in your head, and you're not using this, you're, you're selling yourself so short. When James said in the book of James, uh, does any of you lack wisdom? Let him ask of God who gives generously to all without finding fault, but let him who asks believe and not doubt that man should not receive, think that he will receive anything. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. You and I have free access to the throne of God and to the wisdom that he would impose upon us. If you are not using that, I, I mean, the, the ways to illustrate that are crazy, right? You know, tools or resources or money or whatever way you want to make the illustration, you know, piles and piles of money available to you, but you never spend a dime of it. That'd be kind of foolish. You know, access to the greatest health professionals in the world who would, you know, care for you freely, but you never go see a doctor. Any number of ways you could illustrate. If you've got access to something that the rest of the world would envy and you don't use it, what a waste. We have free access to the throne of God, which so exceeds any of those other things. 
We need to be people who use this. You get into the tight situation at work, pray and ask the Lord, what am I supposed to do here? How am I supposed to interact with this person? You know, most of the time he's just going to say, shut your mouth. (laughs) He may tell you specifically, go to this person and have this conversation with them. Listen, if you prayed and you asked that and he answered you, and one and a half seconds later, you start dismissing it with, well, yeah, but that could, then you are not accessing what the Lord has given you. This is why James said, if you're going to doubt, don't even think you're going to receive anything because you're double-minded. Oh, God, give me an answer. God gives you an answer. Oh, well, I don't think that answer is accurate. You're back and forth. You're up and down. We have the free access. Here, Old Testament, Moses is saying of the nation, no other nation has this type of access except for Israel. And now we far exceed Israel in our free access to God. Make sure that you're not wasting those opportunities. Make sure that you're learning how to capitalize on them. Praying receiving, acting upon the things that the Lord tells you to do. Look at verse 8. For what great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments that are uh, in all the law which I set before you this day? I'll just chase one more rabbit trail while I'm right here. You hear now in this secular culture a lot of hatred for Christianity. And the culture around us is trying to say that we weren't founded as a Christian nation. That's totally false. But there is no denying that this nation was established on Judeo-Christian law and Judeo-Christian ethics. You can look around the world and discover all kinds of different legal systems, all kinds of other different ethical compass that nations of the world conduct themselves according to, right? We don't function according to those things. We function according to this law right here. That is why the Ten Commandments are posted at most of the courthouses in the United States of America. Because we're based upon this law that is right here. Now, some of them never had those Ten Commandments up. Others of them have taken them down. But it's beautiful to me that carved in the doors of the Supreme Court of the United States are the Ten Commandments. You you can't get inside the building without walking through the Ten Commandments that have been placed there. This nation was founded upon Judeo-Christian law and Judeo-Christian ethics. The problems we're experiencing right now is because of what Moses is describing right here in the abandonment and the forgetfulness, the departure from and the leaving there. Verse 9, only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, lest you depart. They depart from your heart all the days of your life and teach them to your children and your grandchildren. So you don't have to have parents' permission, grandparents. You have a commandment from God to teach them to your grandkids. Let the parents deal with it. You know, get over it. These things need to be taught. They need to be handed down. This forgetfulness that's described right here is not the idea of where did I set my car keys? You know, we've all got enough of that problem, right? Uh, you, you can't remember what the combination is. I mean, how about passwords? Don't you just love passwords? You need about six more right now, don't you? <clears throat> and you're saying, well, no, I, I only use one, right? And everyone knows what that one is, and nothing in your life is secure. It's, it's crazy. The forgetfulness is different. It, it's the forgetfulness of not using it, and therefore 
you no longer find a usefulness for it. It would be more accurate to say an abandonment. To just leave a thing behind. To discard a thing. You know, to get bored with it and not use it anymore. That's more what we're talking about. I, I, uh, each, uh, every other week we have youth night and, uh, poor Daniel has the, you know, distinguished privilege of riding with me. So I go pick him up. I take him there on the way home. And one of the things I do with Daniel is, uh, I introduce him to really hardcore music. So, I know that's offensive uh, to a lot of you Christian music, but I listened to some, you know, pretty eardrum splitting stuff along the way. And so, I, you know, I show him different things. And I last night, uh, you, you got your pen ready. So I, I rediscovered a band called the Swirling Eddies. <laughs> and, uh, you know, showed him things. And it's funny because I just I remembered like two lines out of a song and I went to uh, Amazon Prime and looked it up. And sure enough, they got all their albums right there. So I put one on and just grossed Daniel out for like 20 minutes with the swirling eddies. I had forgotten. Through neglect, through not using, I had abandoned. And that's what's being said here. You cannot put this in a box. You cannot act like, oh, we've used it for so long, and it's so worn out, and it's so old-fashioned. I mean, nowadays everybody knows that LGBTQ is totally acceptable, so the Word of God is antiquated and therefore doesn't apply. Let's forget about it. Let's neglect it. Let's sh shrug it off and push it aside. That's what the Lord is saying here. If you don't hold to this, you will forget it. You will abandon it, and you'll lose it in the process. Lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, lest you depart from your heart all the days of your life. Teach them to your children and your grandchildren, especially concerning the day you stood before the Lord your God in Horeb, when the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me, and I will let them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days of they live on the earth and that they may teach their children. Fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We live in a culture, right, that we were warned. We were warned that our culture would be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Okay. Today, it probably would be considered abuse. But my children grew up fearing me. Not, not in the sense of dad's home run and hide because I'm abusive. Not that at all. But they knew if they did certain things, there was going to be punishment. That might be a spanking. It might not be a spanking. But they weren't going to be just getting away with those things. Right? My father passed away when I was very young. My mother, who's here this morning, raised my two older brothers and myself as a widow for all of our upbringing. We started approaching the teen years, and you can imagine how unruly we got with no dad in the house. And, you know, maybe she'll get arrested for me saying this now, but she had a slat of wood that was about an inch and a half wide and it was about three and a half feet long and we all referred to that as the brown persuader because she could persuade you to do anything with that piece of wood in her hand most of the time no problem if you turn around and she's got the brown persuader in her hand everything becomes yes ma'am no ma'am and you get to work and you do the things you're being asked to do. Because it comes down to, we've exceeded her capacities and now she's got to incorporate something else. Discipline, correction, three unruly boys in the house. There needed to be that. 
right? Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'd not depart from it. So apparently I'm old now because I have not departed from the ways in which I was trained. I have returned to them, and I walk in them because of the faithful instruction that came in my life, right? You're saying, well, that's abuse. We couldn't put up with that. The scripture says that the discipline of a father will not kill the child. And it may save their soul from hell. Think about that. It will not kill them. And it may, send them, it may spare them from an eternity separated from God. I'm thankful for all of the correction. I'm thankful for the guidance that I have received over the years. Be careful. Why? The words of the Lord. <clears throat> you notice how God did not gather Moses and Aaron and the nation of Israel together for the most emotionally moving concert they had ever experienced in their entire existence. He didn't gather them together for the coolest opportunity to hang out they'd ever seen in their lives. He gathered them together for what? The word. Whose words? His words. It's always been the word. If you've never picked up on that, right? In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And then what? All things came to, into existence through him. And then you open up Genesis and there it is. The word speaks into existence light and speaks into existence the earth and all of creation and the cattle and the trees, the word. Peter, James, and John had an amazing experience on the Mount of Transfiguration as they saw Jesus in all of his glory with Moses and Elijah. And later, when Peter records that for us, he says, we had the more excellent word of prophecy. The experience was wonderful, amazing, supernatural, but the word of God is more important. More important than the supernatural experience. You know, you guys have heard me over and over again about music and the sensuality of Christian music, right? You've got, you know, two or three bands that everybody is infatuated with their music. You know, they're the greatest worship teams on the earth. And you've heard me specifically name them and talk about how their, their worship leaders are millionaires. Net value, $500 million. Crazy that a worship leader would have that kind of value just from their music. The recording industry and all that they've involved. I don't know if you saw it this week, but one of the biggest names, which I will not surprisingly name this morning, one of the biggest names in Christian worship music right now is in the midst of a horrible scandal. Physical abuse of people who have come to them for discipleship. Running youth camps and organizations to teach young people about how to worship and physically abusing them while they're there. Why? Because they, they function and exist under false doctrine. False teachers. Terrible leadership. You know, men who teach things that are literally heresy. That no one should be following. And yet, oh, you listen to their music and oh, it sounds so good. You know, just like the music of the world. Well, I listen to, you know, Maranatha and it just kind of seems bland. You ever hear that before? Right? That which the Lord provides seems kind of bland. That was what the nation of Israel was saying about manna. We're sick of this manna. We want flesh. We have an appetite for the things of the flesh. Consider the spiritual picture that's there, right? Do you not get up some mornings to get into the word of God and your flesh says, not interested? And yet, have you pushed through? On some of those mornings and read the passage and prayed 
and then found later in the day a great usefulness and a great fuel and a great fire from those things that you've read? Right? Very often the things of the Lord are not appealing to our flesh. That's in fact a sign that it's good, right, proper, nutritious spiritually for us. Stay the course. Hear what Moses is saying here. Then you came near, verse 11, stood at the foot of the mountain. The mountain burned with fire in the midst of heaven with dark clouds, thick darkness. The Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of the words, but saw no form. You only heard a voice. And so he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform. The Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. The Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes, the the law, and judgments, how to handle them, that you might observe them in the land which you cross over to possess. God delivered his word to you, is what Moses is saying. Verse 15, take heed to yourself, for you saw no form when the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire lest you act corruptly and make for yourself carved images in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female. Now, before we go on, it explains it a little more as we move on. This is not some prohibition on artwork. And there are those who claim to be part of Christianity who forbid that there be any painting or carving or image in their home. Because God here is forbidding. That's not what God is forbidding. He specifically gets to the point of saying that you would worship it. Okay? So he's talking about praying to it and worshiping it. Right? The Lord specifically commands that when Moses builds the tabernacle, that there are supposed to be artwork and images and embroidery of the the angels in all of the tapestries around the tabernacle. So so artwork is not forbidden. And to teach that is to be legalistic and you know to add to the scripture something that is not there. Lest you act corruptly and make for yourself carved images in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of an animal that is on the earth, or the likeness of a winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, or the likeness of any fish that is in the water beneath the earth. And take heed, lest you lift up your eyes to heaven. And when you see the sun, the moon, the stars, all the hosts of heaven, and you feel driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord your God has given to all the people under the whole heavens as a heritage. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be his people, an inheritance, as you are this day. The worship of anything on earth or the worship of the celestial, the stars and otherwise. Uh, You might want to write down uh, privileged planet is a video. They show it at the Creation Museum. You can get it on DVD. It's available on a lot of different platforms. And it talks about how the universe is designed so that where we are located in the universe is the perfect place to, number one, not be destroyed, and number two, not have the light pollution from the stars and the suns around us that would prohibit us from seeing the universe. We are seated on the Sagittarius arm of the Milky Way galaxy at just the right depth of the Sagittarius arm to observe more of the universe than any other place from the universe. We are on the most privileged planet to experience the universe that God created around us. God wants us to be fascinated with the creation around us, but understand that he made it. That is supposed to point us to worshiping him, not to worshiping it. So Privileged Planet is an excellent feature for you to check out. So here, the Lord has given all the people under the whole 
heaven as a heritage with the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be his people, an inheritance as you are this day. Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me for your sakes. And we talked about this, how he had disobeyed the Lord and the Lord was not going to allow him to go into the land and swore that I would not cross over the Jordan and that I would not enter the good land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. But I must die in this land. I must not cross over the Jordan. But you shall cross over and possess that good land. Take heed to yourself, lest you forget the covenant and the Lord your God, which he made with you. And make for yourselves a carved image in the form of anything which the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. That's a positive statement about God's relationship with us in that he will not tolerate any other thing stealing our attentions from him. Right? You want certain people to be jealous in your life. And it is appropriate that you, as Christians, would be jealous of certain relationships in your life. It's a protective measure. I've said before, I see any man trying to win my wife's heart over, my jealousy is going to be good and righteous to protect that relationship. You see anyone trying to lure your children away from you, candy, treats, opportunities, parents or grandparents, a jealous rage is going to fill your heart and you're going to protect your grandchildren. That, that's right. It's proper. It's not sinful to be jealous in that sense, to be protective. God has that relationship with us and he is jealous for our time, jealous for our attention, jealous for our affections. Why? Because he knows how damaging any other thing is for us. Wants to keep our focus on him. A little further, verse 25. When you beget children and grandchildren and have grown old in the land and act corruptly and make carved images in the form of anything and do evil in the sight of the Lord your God and provoke him to anger. Boy, that would be a disheartening thing to hear. So when you blow it, when you screw up, when you fall into sin. Wait, who said I was going to sin? God is saying, since I know you so well, when we get to that marker, right? It's actually an encouraging thing that he's saying. It seems very discouraging when you read it this way, but follow what he says. You know, you make a carved image, anything evil in the sight of the Lord, provoke him to anger. I call, I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that you will soon utterly perish from the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. You will not prolong your days in it, but you will be utterly destroyed. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples and you will be lifted, or excuse me, you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you, and there you will serve gods, small g. The work of man's hands, wood, stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. Now, I don't have time to read, but I would ask you to write down Psalm 115, verses 1 through 11 where the psalmist talks about how the nation of Israel has been foolish and made idols, and they have become like the idols, deaf and dumb and callous and cold and uncaring. We become as the God we worship. So, if you worship Jesus Christ, you will be warm, loving, compassionate, selfless, self-sacrificing, serving. You worship any other thing, all of that disappears. In the end, you're worshiping self. And it's very destructive in the process. Look at verse 29 of Deuteronomy chapter 4. But from there, 
you will seek the Lord your God. And this is why I say it's actually a positive message. And you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in distress and all these things come upon you in the latter days, when you turn to the Lord your God and obey his voice, for the Lord your God is a merciful God, he will not forsake you nor destroy you nor forget the covenant of your fathers which he swore to them. So, have you screwed up? Have you drifted from the Lord? Are you where you should not be? Then you find the graciousness of God is ready for restoration. Mercy is the character of our God. According to the tabernacle and the model of heaven that Moses built, the throne where God is seated is the Ark of the Covenant. And the lid of the Ark of the Covenant is referred to as the mercy seat. And that is where the priest would pour the blood of the sacrifice. It's a beautiful symbol in that the place where God's presence can be most known is where the blood of his son was symbolically set. Where, where what he's going to view you and I through is his very mercy that is poured out upon us all. So, if you have drifted, if you have forgotten, know the gracious restoration of God. Verse 32, we'll just read through this short section. Verse 32. For ask now concerning the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other, whether any great thing like this has happened, or anything like it has been heard. Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and live? Or did God ever try to go and take for himself a nation from the midst of another nation? He's going to explain how that's Egypt. By trials, by signs, the plagues that came upon the nation of Egypt, by wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great terrors, according to all that the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes. To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord himself is God. There is none other beside him. Out of heaven he let you hear his voice, that he might instruct you. On earth he showed you his great fire, and you heard the words out of the midst of the fire, and because he loved your fathers, therefore he chose their descendants after them. He brought you out of Egypt with his presence and with his mighty power, driving out from before you nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in to give you their land as an inheritance, as it is this day. Therefore, know this day and consider it in your heart that the Lord himself is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. You shall therefore keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it might go well with you and with your children after you and that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord your God is giving you for all time. Listen, that statement, just to clarify and then talk about this a little bit as we close, that statement about how their time would be long in the land is not an assurance of long life for each of the individuals, right? People die at all kinds of different times. Some people live to be very old. Some people pass away when they are younger, right? It's astonishing to me to hear, you know, people be like, well, you know, the, the ones that live to be very old, they did all of these wonderful things, and that's how they live to be so old. Have, have you read some of the lists of what these people do, you know? 
lived to be 110 years old and drank three shots of whiskey their entire life before they went to bed, you know, a half carton of ice cream and smoked cigars every day, and yet lived to be 110 years old. I'm not, I'm not making that up. That's literally a case that I've heard of recently. Longevity is not produced by those terrible behaviors. That's not what the Lord is referring to here. What he's saying is, if you do not keep my commandments, I'm going to kick all of you out of the land. You're not going to get to stay there. Israel got 490 years, right? We haven't even made 250 yet. And this nation has abandoned God. What do you suppose lies ahead of us? I say right in front of us, immediately in front of us, if we do not wake up, repent, and worship God, the, the problems that are coming are so much more severe than anything we've experienced so far. So much more severe. I'm talking, I'm talking to you and I, right? Don't take this message and go out the door and get your picket sign and yell at all the heathens out there. This message is for us, God's people, living in sincerity of relationship with him personally here and now. That's where the blessing is, is when his people will follow him and worship him. The world doesn't know him at all. Get together with the guys this morning and we're reading there in 2 Timothy chapter 4. and Paul gives that order to Timothy about being ready in season and out of season to constantly share. And he closes that first short section by saying, do the work of an evangelist. Share your faith. That's my encouragement almost every week, isn't it? Open your mouth. Speak. I don't say that to you condemningly. I know how nerve-wracking it is at times to start the conversation, to say something. If you're thinking, I'm new to the faith. I'm not ready to start talking to people like that. See, you're out of season. You haven't matured yet. And yet Paul gives the command, be ready to teach in season or out of season. Speak, share the word, say something, share your faith with people. Do you, do you step away from the checkout counter and just say, God bless? Try that one out. You know, say God bless to your waitress. You know, write John 3.16 on the bottom uh, underneath your signature as you pay them for the day. You know, another one I like to say all the time, some of you are more familiar with this, you know, crazy world around us, people will slip up and they'll say, they'll feed you the line and they'll say, what is this world coming to? Wow, there you go. There, I mean, you're being set up right there. My line is an end. What is this world coming to? An end. You know, they'll jaw drop right there and then you just fill in the blank right behind that. Have you ever read, ever read the Bible? <laughs> you might want to. Everything we're experiencing was predicted in the book of Revelation. Just, just leave them with the problem. Let them sort it out. Deliver the word of God. Deliver the truth into their lives. We're, we're the seed spreaders, you guys. We're the ones that have the truth of God's word in our hearts and in our minds. Right? One of those old bands, I'll have to introduce Daniel to Everybody Duck. Everybody Duck had a song called Keeping the Cure in My Pocket. And it was a song written about a man who had a best friend who was dying of the same disease that he used to be afflicted with. And rather than share the cure with his friend, he kept the cure in his pocket. Are we doing that day to day? The places we go? Evangelize the world. Share with them. Speak to them. Invite them to church. Invite them into your faith. The world has forgotten. The world has abandoned this God. How could they ever remember if they've never known? That means we're going to have to take the message to them. Amen? Amen. Well, we'll pick up at verse 41 next week. Let's stand and we'll pray. 
Father, we are grateful for your love and your graciousness. Oh, your, your graciousness in our lives. Lord, minister to us. Fill us with your spirit. Fill us with your strength. Fill us with your boldness, Lord, that we would find ways to very effectively and very cleverly share with people those things which would open up conversations and opportunities. Help us to lead people to Christ. Convert souls. Bring them into our church. Bring them into our kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.